the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, July the 7th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. 7-7-22 today. On July 7th, 1976, the United States Military Academy at West Point included female cadets for the first time. Today, in 1846, U.S. annexation of California was announced at Monterey after the surrender of a Mexican garrison. Today, in 1865, four people were hanged in Washington, D.C. for conspiring with John Wilkes Booth to assassinate President Abraham Lincoln. Lewis Powell, he was also known as Lewis Payne, David Herod, <coughs> excuse me, George um, Adderzot, I think that's how you pronounce his name, and Mary Surratt. She was the first woman to be executed by the federal government. Today, in 1898, the United States annexed Hawaii. Today, in 1930, construction began on Boulder Dam, later named Hoover Dam. Today, in 1946, Jimmy Carter, he was 21 years old, he married Rosalind Smith. She was 18. They got married... Where do you think they got married? Of course, in Plains, Georgia. Today, in 1948, six female U.S. Navy reservists became the first women to be sworn in to the regular Navy. And today, in 1981, President Ronald Reagan announced he was nominating Arizona Judge Sandra Day O'Connor to become the first female justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. Although Sandra Day O'Connor was a nice person and pleasant. She was not the conservative that Ronald Reagan had hoped for. I think we all discovered that as she began to become part of the process of the Supreme Court. One year ago today, former President Donald Trump filed a lawsuit against Facebook, Twitter, and Google's YouTube the lawsuit claimed that he and other conservatives had been wrongfully censored by these, um, I think that would be an understatement, by these social platforms. There's an interesting um, line of stories today. I've been looking at them since earlier this morning. Um, I found there's a, there's a thread. There are different stories with different titles in the newspapers. But do you know that only 11% of America believe what they read in the newspaper. It's amazing. But anyway, there's this thread in the newspapers and they're most of the big newspapers. And then it filters down to the smaller cities and probably on to even more rural small towns that have newspapers. Um, and it's what it is. It's an, it's an effort. And I, I found some of the same words, even though they have different titles, these stories, uh, the New York Times, starting with them, because they have a, a lot of influence on the left, I guess, um, diminishing for sure, but nonetheless, a lot of newspapers pick up New York Times stories, Washington Post stories, etc. 
and they just run them and they'll they'll credit them usually sometimes they don't don't even credit them i've noticed but generally they credit them but it's the same story but sometimes they'll change the headline and so you think it's a different story you see a story about you know xyz and new york times or whatever then you see another story about you know kind of an xyz story with a whole different headline on it but it's the same story this is how the news media rolls and they they've done that for quite a while i don't know if in the beginning they did, but they have in recent years. Well, anyway, this story, the New York Times story, is titled Internal Inconsistencies. And it starts like this. I'm just going to read a few lines of it so you'll be familiar with this whole um, effort today that's going on in the news media in general. It begins with this, quote, the New York Times, uh, Internal Inconsistencies. More than 100 Republican nominees for statewide office or for Congress this year have falsely claimed that election fraud helped defeat Donald Trump in 2020. Almost 150 members of Congress, more than half of the Republicans serving there, went so far as to vote to overturn the 2020 election result. And then the second paragraph says, These claims of election fraud have become the mainstream Republican position. In some places, winning a nomination virtually requires making such statements. In other places, the claims appear to carry little political cost, at least in the primaries. And very few elected Republicans have been willing to denounce the falsehoods. It goes on and develops this idea that the the conservatives, and in their case, they only can look at things politically, Republican, Democrat. It goes on to say that the Republicans... The only thing they have to offer the nation this year as they run for office all across the country in the upcoming midterm election is the claim that the election fraud caused Donald Trump to lose the last presidential election. They're trying to isolate all Republicans and put them into this little box and present it to the nation as this is what they offer the nation this year. They offer the nation that um, the, the election was stolen, otherwise we wouldn't have Joe Biden as president. And they go on and on and on. They make, they make their case and they find uh, you know, a Republican somewhere. They, they found a Republican somewhere. I can't remember what state the guy was in, but he confessed to voting in two different states. And they do a whole big thing about this guy. I mean, you know, just... John Smith, what I don't I don't even remember his name. But they make a big deal in the newspaper about it, like this one guy, and he he did. He voted twice and that's illegal and he, he paid the price and he had a penalty. I don't know if he spent time in jail or a fine or whatever it was. But they they're highlighting all of this and they're ignoring a growing body of evidence. I, I mean, this two thousand mules, you know, that that Dinesh D'Souza has put out recently, this movie, I mean, it, it cuts to the core. There was a lot of fraud in the last election, and that ought not to be, and we should be working together to eliminate that so we can have elections that everybody feels comfortable with or generally comfortable with, win or lose. But that's not the case. Washington Post is doing the same thing today. They're running a story that that parallels this. In fact, it echoes this. The wording is a little bit different, but a lot of the phrases and a lot of the, I mean, there'll be two, three, four sentences verbatim in that story. 
And I've seen it in other newspapers this morning. I didn't have time to read them all, nor the interest to read them all. But um, that's out there today. And so you're going to be seeing a move in that direction to kind of isolate conservatives in general and specifically Republicans as our uh, our campaign, so to speak, or our agenda, our banner is fraud in the elections. And boy, I'll tell you, this upcoming election this year, and particularly the next presidential election, is about so much more than that. I've been following this story. It's been in the news the last couple of days. I haven't mentioned it, but I, I want to mention it this morning. Cornell University, an Ivy League school, so the library has removed a bust of President Abraham Lincoln next to a display of the Gettysburg Address. And people were, you know, they were kind of scratching their head a little bit when they when these guys did this because of all people you would think that president abraham lincoln would be a, at least acceptable to the left who just rails and they wail and wail about you know racial injustice and on and on and on so you would think that they would kind of like abraham lincoln i mean he gave himself and his life ultimately to the cause of freeing the slave abolition oh no <laughs> not at all the College Fix is a, a news source, and I read them a lot. Um, it's writ- a lot of the stories are written by college uh, students in various colleges around the country. They're, it's very well done. It's a great piece. It's called College Fix. And um, they put out a story on this. In fact, they, they have a story this morning. The College Fix repeatedly sought requests for comment, they say, about themselves on the display's whereabouts. Like they were asking Cornell University, what did you do with Lincoln? And what did you do with this? It's I think it's a handwritten copy, actually, of the Gettysburg Address. And they would just ignore it. They wouldn't even return their call. And the College Fix is a pretty big deal. And they, they would probably know that. Anyway, College Fix says this morning, after we published our story, Cornell's communications then got a hold of Fox News, and they told them that the President Lincoln's bust was part of a temporary exhibit on the 150th anniversary of the Gettysburg Address. The bust was on display in the rare and manuscript collections from 2013 to 2021. College Fix says the university's claim that it was only a temporary display rings tremendously hollow. (laughs) It does. For one, they say, it was up nearly a decade, nearly 10 years. Most temporary library displays or exhibits in general are up for about four to six months. This was up eight years. What's more, they note, Ezra Cornell, the guy after whom the college is named, owned that bust of Lincoln. So it's not like it was on loan or anything from somebody else. It belonged to the guy who started the college. So they say, of course, this Ivy League university has possession of that bust of Lincoln and that rare copy of the Gettysburg Address. But they've decided that it doesn't fit their narrative. It doesn't fit their agenda at the moment. So they want to put it aside. Interestingly enough, this Georgetown University Law School professor, Rosa Brooks, was on MSNBC Tuesday, day before yesterday, on their broadcast called Readout. Joy Reed is the anchor on that. And um, 
they were talking about American and slaves and the U.S. Constitution and all of that, and they got into this conversation. Anchor Joy Reid said, what do you make of this, this sense that we are now essentially, we live at the mercy of whoever can go into a store and buy an AR-15 and decide to shoot whoever is available? Brooks said, I was thinking, boy, this sounds, uh, those sounds are like the sounds you hear in war zones. They were talking about this most recent shooting, a horrible tragedy, but that's, that's what they were talking about. But then they pivoted, and th- that's my point here. And uh, they said, I think Brooks said, and there are people all over the world who have lived during armed conflicts, and when does the mortar fall on your house? When does the soldier or the tank come down the street and just kill you? We are now living in that world, too, and we have brought it on ourselves. We can't say, oops, it's the Russians' fault. They shouldn't have invaded us. The MSNBC guest then added, I'm quoting, This is us. This is 100% us. And it's because we are essentially slaves to a document that was written more than 230 years ago by a tiny group of white slave-owning men. And we cannot break out of the bondage that we have imposed on ourselves from feeling like we have to do everything by the Supreme Court and its decision in reference to this ancient document. They're talking about the Constitution of the United States. This ancient document, which is not just serving us well, it's causing us enormous problems and enormous tragedies at this point. Now, keep in mind that this... Rosa Brooks is a law school professor feeding the minds of kids who are paying forty to $80,000 a year to go to that school. That's the problem in America today. These people who are perhaps highly educated, at least they passed their tests and got their degrees, they ha- do not have a clue what has made this country what it is today. They have no sense of that. Their minds, their conscience is seared to the truth about America and about our culture today. The more we follow this kind of leadership, and obviously this woman is influencing perhaps thousands of kids over a period of time and young adults who sit in her class and take her classes. And you got to know if she's saying this, that the our Constitution was created by a small group of old white men who own slaves and it's no longer useful and it should be put away and something new should replace it. If she's saying that on television, she's certainly saying that in her classroom. That gets to the heart of the problem that we have here in America today. There is this movement. I don't think it's a majority, but it appears to be a majority because the news is always pampering these people and always puffing them up and leading them and giving them airtime and, and print space on the newspapers and one thing or another. And they're always giving them the benefit of any conversation, the media. But the general public in America is getting sick and tired of this and is pushing back. And they're pushing back very strong. And that's what the New York Times and the Washington Post and other news sources, quote-unquote, are getting concerned about because as the light is slowly being turned on by various events and some of them unrelated and yet there is that cohesiveness that something is very wrong in America. We are deeply, deeply divided. And for a long time, the left has denied that and said, oh, no, that's not true, you know, and so on. Now they're taking that as kind of their banner 
they're saying we are deeply divided, and it's because the left, the right, the Republicans are committed to the idea that the last election was stolen. That's in their minds and in their their activities now, they're trying to pin that on all the conservatives that are running for office, particularly in the election later this year, in November. They're trying to label them as people who are running for office because they believe that Joe Biden stole the election from Donald Trump, that there was so much fraud. They kind of know there was a lot of fraud because the evidence is overwhelming that there was. How much? I don't know. But there was fraud, and they know that. But they have taken that tack, and you're going to be hearing more and more and more about that as we go forward. And talking about talking about censorship, there's an issue in Idaho that I want to talk about for a few moments this morning. But let me share with you something I read this morning in my personal devotion, just reading through the Bible various chapters and so on. Let me share with you some verses. You know these, but I just felt that it would be appropriate today for you, for someone, perhaps for all of us, for sure for all of us. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. And I repeat, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The answer to that question is no one or nothing. Don't be afraid, because God is in control of everything that's happening in this world. God created it. He existed before there was a world and before there was a universe as we know it. He spoke into being what is. He is God Almighty, King of kings, Lord of lords, the God of nature, the God of creation, and the God that lives in the lives and hearts of every one of us who have accepted his son, Jesus Christ, as our personal Savior, asking him, believing that he has resurrected from the dead, for our, he died for our sins and was resurrected from the dead, believing that he is indeed the Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We accept him into our heart as our personal Savior. We have nothing to fear because God is in control of the universe and of our lives. That's amazing. It's truly amazing. No wonder, no wonder he wrote the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. That's the truth. Let's talk about a little bit about Idaho for a minute here. A judge, this week a judge issued a temporary block to the university policy, censored three Christian students who had expressed opposition to the same-sex marriage on religious grounds. Sound familiar? It, yeah, it is. Back in April, students uh, Peter uh, 
Perlow, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Mark Miller and Ryan Alexander, they sued the University of Idaho over a policy in which they were barred from talking with a student who asked them some questions about their views, their biblical views on same-sex marriage. Remember when higher education was always harping about how important it is to keep an open mind. we got to be open-minded. And they were telling the Christians, oh, you're too closed-minded. you got to be open-minded. That's been reversed now. They're the most closed-minded people on the face of the earth. They won't talk about or allow anyone else to talk about anything they don't agree with. That whole idea of open-mindedness has now evolved and, as they say, progressed to the notion that anything that doesn't fit the radical far-left narrative or the agenda cannot be said out loud to anyone. There's a cultural shift that's happening before our eyes in our country. There's no question about it. How we address it and how we view it in our own minds and process it is a very different matter. But back in April of this year, Christian Post reported this three Christian students sued the University of Idaho for alleged wrongful punishment for expressing traditional views on marriage and sexual ethics on campus. They weren't out there breaking windows and burning anything. They went, what they did, these students, Peter Perlow, Mike Miller, and Ryan Alexander, they're a part of a Christian league society that has a club there in the university, and most universities have a club like that, particularly among the law students. But anyway, um, <laughs> They filed lawsuit after they went to the first of all they went to this uh, this LGBTQ meeting and they didn't disrupt it. And I I looked into this because I, I thought maybe they did. They didn't disrupt it. They just went there, and according to the lawsuit, they they on on the campus they went to this and they asked if they could present their view on marriage as opposed to same-sex marriage, their biblical view on marriage. Well, of course, the LGBTQ leaders said no, they couldn't, and which they understood. But a student that overheard this back and forth, this conversation, came up to these three guys, these Christians, and asked them you know, if he could have a serious conversation with them about marriage. And they said, of course. And they talked to him a little bit, and then they decided to meet up and have more conversation because they sensed that the guy was pretty sincere in, in his questioning about biblical marriage versus same-sex marriage. Well, after they had this conversation, they agreed to follow up and have another meeting with this guy. But right after that, the Christian students were contacted and given a no-contact order from the OCRI, which which is the... Uh, the Civil Rights Religious Freedom Investigation Group on the campus. They were given this no-contact order that prohibited them from communicating with that student. No one had complained about the conversation, but the three Christians were denied an opportunity to review the allegations against them or even defend themselves. They said, wait a minute, we're not forcing ourselves on anybody. This guy wants to talk to us. And they said, no, we won't accept any explanation from you. So the Christian students filed a lawsuit with Alliance Defending Freedom representing them. They, uh, at the time when they put out the lawsuit back in April, this Michael Ross, he's a, a legal counsel with AD, ADL. He said, quote, students must be free to discuss and debate the important issues of our day, especially law students who are preparing for a career that requires civil dialogue among 
differing viewpoints. The episode was very revealing to me, and I think it would be to anyone who looked at it. That's why we're talking about it for a few minutes today. Clearly, there's a strong bias against the Christian kids on the part of the school administration. Even the, the administration at the University of Idaho was more biased than the LGBTQ, whatever, gay activists were toward the Christians. I mean, it's amazing. Nobody even filed a complaint against this conversation that took place, but the school administration took it upon themselves to hand out a no-contact order. That would be, I guess, something similar to, you know, a legal document. But now, just this week, a judge has put the brakes on the University of Idaho telling them they can't punish students just because they disagree with their personal, in this case, religious beliefs. The order was released last week and became news this week. This U.S. District Judge David Nye, he issued a preliminary injunction against the enforcement of the university's policies. Nye noted that the university officials targeted the plaintiffs, over their specific religious views, namely their opposition to same-sex marriage. That's exactly right, and that's what they did. They targeted them because they disagreed with these Christians' biblical view of marriage and human sexuality. The judge wrote the disparity in defendants' approach is what bothers the court the most about this case and leans toward a finding that the defendants' actions were designed to repress specific speech. And that's exactly what happened. So we'll see where this goes. I mean, it's going to progress from here. But instead of allowing the students to disagree civilly and respectfully with one another and discuss these important issues, the university chose to censor the plaintiffs, the Christians. And that is a thread that runs, again, through our culture. When when they talk about how deeply divided we are and then they, they describe it and they cast it as being political, it isn't political. It is deeper than politics. Of course it plays out in politics. But the divide in America today is a moral divide. It's not a political divide. It appears to be. That's the only way these big boys in the media know how to present this to the public, is political. But it's a spiritual matter, and they don't want to go there. Because if they go there, there's too much evidence that it is a spiritual matter. Yesterday, in their infinite wisdom, the New York Times, in a different story, not the one I was talking about a few moments ago, they said this in part, pressed by Supreme Court decisions diminishing rights that liberals hold dear and expanding those cherished by conservatives, the United States appears to be drifting apart into separate nations with diametrically opposed social, environmental, and health policies. The most immediate breaking point is on abortion, they said, and they went into a long deal about that, but they said, I'm quoting again, but the ideological fault lines extend far beyond that one topic of abortion, to climate change, gun control, and LGBTQ and voting rights. Tearing at the seams, they said, has been accelerated by the six-vote conservative majority in the Supreme Court, which has embraced a muscular states' rights federalism. Well, (laughs) that's where we are in America today. We've seen the Supreme Court judging not on their bias, but on the Constitution. And now the Constitution is being attacked on television as a document that's terribly outdated, needs to be replaced, 
and it was written by a few old white men who owned slaves. It's archaic. That's the enemy. But the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Thank you for your support. I'll see you right here tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.